Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Kathy. And Kathy, I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your last name. Emma Bayashi. Emma Bayashi. That's not too bad. Okay. It's a little difficult when you look at it, but that's not too bad. So Kathy considers herself a Canadian nomad. Her wanderlust heart has led her to a variety of places like Japan, Lebanon, Thailand, Georgia, and Qatar. Kathy has always aspired to do her very best for children and their parents. Her expertise comes not only from almost 45 years working with children from toddlers to teens, but from all that she has learned while raising a male child. She is an author and entrepreneur now living in Japan. Welcome, Kathy. How are you today? Fine. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And and I'm glad to have you all the way from Japan. This is exciting. (laughs) For me as well. So where to begin? There are so many fascinating topics around you, but let's start with you giving us some background on what brought you to retire in Japan, write a book, and start a new coaching business in your 60s. I think maybe where I'd like to start is why I came to Japan in the first place, because Japan was never on my radar. I knew nothing about uh, Japan or the culture or like I grew up in the 50s and 60s. So the town that I lived in, there were no Asian people there at all. And, and uh, it wasn't on my radar. I had started in Nova Scotia on the East Coast and gradually moved all the way to the West Coast and lived in Vancouver for six years. And uh, as I was approaching my 30s, I, there was just something that was missing. I knew that there was something that was, I, I wasn't settled. I really wasn't settled. Mm. And, but I didn't know what was next. Like, I didn't know what my next step was going to be. And I read a book just by chance. Not, well, nothing by chance, but right. I read a book. I read James Clavell Shogun. And that was the first book I had ever read, actually, that had anything to do with the Asian countries. And something happened when I read that book that it never happened before. That was the first. It, it's happened since, but that was the first. And when I read it, there was something just resonated so deeply in me. And it was like this, I hesitate sometimes to share all of this because sometimes it just, even to me, it sounds a little woo-woo, but my life is verification happening. See? So anyway, I read this book and there was this deep, deep pulling. And it was like, I don't know why, but I have to move to Japan. So, wow, <laughs> that, that's just the bottom line. And right. my, my personality was, is that I never do anything lightly, but I am pretty good at if something feels right, I'll follow it. So uh, within three months, I guess, I packed up everything I knew mm-hmm. that I had, which wasn't much, but I, at that time, internet was not this big thing. So I had gotten the, the, Monday version of the Japan Times that had jobs. I got myself a job, and three months later, I moved 
with two suitcases and I didn't know a soul. Wow. That's brave. Uh, well, the bravery, I think, was listening to myself. Right. There was an inner voice telling you you had to do, and you do have to listen to that. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So okay. that, that choice changed my whole life, like in, in ways that I would never have imagined. So I came to Japan. I ended up being here for 19 years. I met my husband. And again, it, like so many things have happened that keep shouting, listen to what's going on. Right. And right. I had decided, I don't know if that was like five years in or seven years in, I had decided I was leaving Japan. I was going back to Canada, going back to university. I was going to get my degree in social work instead of education. Mm -hmm. I had given, so I had one year that I was going through this process of my university application and tying things up. And it was at the beginning of that year that my husband and I started a relationship, even though we'd known each other for five years as friends. Right. In that relationship, he kept saying, we will get married. And I kept saying, I'm going back to Canada. I'm changing careers and I will be here for one year. And if you can handle that, we can have a good time. And if it's going to be too difficult, we, we shouldn't start. Right. And he just kind of, he's the most sweet and gentle man I've ever met. Is he Japanese? Yeah. He is. Okay. <laughs> but, but he knew, he knew that we would be getting married. And <laughs> so, and he also said it might be a little bit too private, but. He also said, we'll have a child. We'll have children. I said, you didn't want any? I had my tubes tied before I left Canada. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. See, when I get an idea, I'm very strong. There's no right. halfway for me. It's like right. I'm in. And I felt such a uh, strong, powerful feeling that the world was not the place I wanted to bring my own child into. I could adopt a dozen, but, you know, right. the world was in. And so I took that final step. Wow. So, so he's saying we're going to get married and we're going to have a family. And I'm saying, no, we're not. <laughs> so we ended up having a wonderful year. Uh -huh. And I think the reason we had a wonderful year is because I was not preoccupied with what our future was. Right. In my mind, it's a one-year deal. So being right. totally in the present, which I think a lot of People aren't, and I think that sabotages a lot of relationships. So long story yep. short, everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong. <laughs> Every single thing. Oh Applications got lost. My sister submitted a, a money transfer for me, and somehow it got in the wrong account. And, and then I missed the deadlines. And it was uh, truly everything that could go wrong did go wrong. It was the universe pointing you in the right direction, saying, ah, 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 you're not doing that. Not going to happen. See? That's exactly it. <laughs> and so right at the very end, like the very last, and I was close. I had given my notice at work, like summer holidays. I said, no, I can't do summer school because I'm leaving. I'm going back. The last thing, I don't remember exactly what it was, but the last thing that came through that was a definite, you've missed these deadlines, whatever you can't get in this coming year. I went to my friend and I said, look, I don't know what the heck is going on because nothing is going. And I had quite a, I was quite interested in kind of new agey stuff. And so I, I asked this person, she said, well, maybe your boyfriend is right and maybe you're supposed to get married. 
And I thought about him for a minute, and I thought, oh, maybe that's right. So I called him up at work, and I said, were you serious? Do you really want to get married? He said, yeah. And I said, well, okay, then I'll contact my folks and see if they can do it this summer. And, which I'm saying this in June. And, right. and so I hadn't even met his parents. Like, <laughs> right. It was, anyway, we ended up like he was on board and I called my family and said, can you arrange a small wedding in four weeks? And, and I got Best. my job back at the school. And, and then he said, like, I had told him why we wouldn't be having a family when he still thought we would be. And, and, Anyway, he, he, he wanted me to see a specialist and see if there was anything to do a reversal. So I thought, okay, we, right. I'm, I'm game for anything at this point. Right. So we did. We went, we saw this wonderful doctor and he said he had a really good success rate. He said he had a 75% success rate of doing reversals. But what I didn't understand at the time is he'd only ever done four. So, you know, it wasn't like, oh, you know, yeah. So the numbers aren't that great. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. You know, all in perspective. <laughs> right. Right. I, I thought, well, if there's a chance and if this is important to my future husband, I'll give it a go. I'm easy going that way. So I actually checked in, had the reversal done. I had to ask to be discharged two days early to catch the flight to go home to get married. Like it was everything was that close. Wow. Wow. So long story, I keep saying long story short, that's going to be a long story. But the result was I had to wait two months because I'd been on medication for intestinal problems. And I had to wait for two months before trying to conceive. Right. And literally, the first time we tried to conceive, our son came in. It was like, boom, the door is open. It was, oh, it was, it was my really. Gosh, that is amazing. Yeah, it, yeah. Re- it truly was. Meant to the, be. Yep. There was less than a 1% chance, less than a 1% right. chance of right. that reversal. And and the doctor even said, if you're not pregnant within a year, like mm-hmm. give it a year. Well, <laughs> we, so that changed my whole life. And it was kind of like, okay, someone pointed me in the direction The book came into my world. It spoke to me. I listened. I came to Japan. A man who was a dear friend, I was not marrying him. Like, it was just not going to happen. No. Until it did. (laughs) And then it did. Wasn't having kids. Then it did. And so, so many times in my life, I I really think when you're going on the right road, Mm -hmm. things are quite smooth. Right. And when you're going down a path that's not meant for you, you keep having these challenges and until you are successful with whatever that challenge is, it will keep coming up. Like, you right. know, it's kind of like, I know better than you do. Listen to me. Right. So right. that, that has kind of led me to a few different things. So there were, Japan is a lovely place, but it's also difficult for foreigners because you will never be part of this culture. And for my husband, it was a very interesting period of time because he started to see the world from a different lens, having a foreign wife and then a dual child. So by the time our son finished elementary school, just before that, actually, we had decided there were several turning points, but we had decided it was time for us to uh, leave 
Japan and go to a bigger international school for our son. It, it would fit his personality better, more right. opportunities. And we were both ready for a change. That was 19 years for me that I'd been here. Mm-hmm. And again, I went to, I joined up with recruiting, international teachers recruiting group that they, they have a big, in New York, they have a big fair once a year. I submitted all my stuff. My field was early childhood. I was told in no uncertain terms that would, it'd be a total waste of my money to go to New York to this because really? I was an early years teacher with a trailing spouse. Oh, wow. And it was kind of like, so I kind of, I took that. I, I, I listened. Mm-hmm. Oh, but then I make my own decisions about everything. Good, good. And yep. so I listened and then I decided, well, I'm going to go anyway and get the experience, learn what's the right thing for me to do. And I'll, I'll try it another time. And also when I filled out the, the forms, I decided I'm going to put on elementary because maybe I'd have more of a chance if I was an elementary teacher, which I could teach as well. Right. In at the fair. Nothing happened. I mean, I had several like really close possibilities. Mm -hmm. That's an experience like I've never had before. And it was just up and down, up, down, almost no sleep, interviews, talking, checking out the different countries, the different schools. So it was the last day. I, everything was flat. I was exhausted. I went back into the room and circled around to see what was left, if anything was left. And I walked by one of the tables with a headmaster sitting behind it. And it was a school from Lebanon, from the Middle East. And I'd had a high school position and something else and something else. And I just walked by. And it was slow in there. Like, you know, everyone's yeah. tired. Last day, people are not there as much. Yep. Yeah. So the headmaster started up a conversation with me. And it started with, well, hi, you've got the same hair as my wife. That's how we started our conversation. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so I sat down and, and oh, this, it was just so much fun to just relax and just talk. And as we talked, he found out that my thing was early years. And he said, well, I didn't see your, your, your submittance, like your CV on anything. And I said, well, no, I put it in as elementary. And he said, well, I have a spot in early years. And that's how it all started. And I ended up going to Lebanon Loved it. Absolutely loved it. My son wow. went to middle school and high school there. Ah, nice. So my life as in a family time, I had always thought, you need to remember too, teachers just don't make any money. So as yeah. far as having big savings, that just wasn't happening in that no. time frame. And I had decided once my son left for university, I would move into administration, make the big bucks. Our, our retirement would be fine. That was... <laughs> The universe would continue to take care of me. Right. It, I mean, it was a good plan. It didn't turn out that way. But we we also, my life as a family was just beautiful. We used to, we were not extravagant, but I think travel is the best education you can have. It, it so, really is. It really yeah. is. Absolutely. So, we would go places and, and camp and wh- whatever we whatever we could do to soak in a new culture, a new experience. And, right. And, Family was the most important thing to me, still is, but at that time it was, it guided every decision that we made. Right. So when my son went to university in Canada, it was really difficult for, for me. And so in order for me to deal with that empty nest syndrome, I decided my husband is just wonderful at just accommodating all of my whims. 
Thank goodness. <laughs> so I decided, well, the time that I'm going to deal with this emptiness by moving. We're going to go to another country and we're going to try to get into administration. We'll start our cushion for retirement. Right. So I, I got a lovely job in Bangkok. We stayed there for two years. I thought, oh, that's it. We can stay here forever. I loved Thailand. Absolutely Did you? loved mm. Thailand. Mm. So, and we had a wonderful two years. But what I came to understand from five different administrative positions and those being in for-profit schools, which that was something I was always told, never work in a for-profit school. And I thought, well, as a teacher, I didn't. But as an administrator, that's where the jobs are right now for me. Right. right. And it didn't work out well. Like, it, it was like, anyway, I won't bother getting into too much of that. But it, those were tough years for uh -huh. me. Wow. So after two years, after that contract, I moved to Tbilisi, Georgia. And that was a, another it was a grand adventure, like so different than anything I knew. <laughs> and again, started out fine. I knew I wouldn't be there very long. It was a hard, hard culture. But I ended up getting this dream offer. And... And I tried to put it on a, when I'm finished this two-year contract. And it was kind of like, no, it's got to be at the end of the one-year contract. Mm. And I said no. And then I thought, well, I didn't grow up asking for what I wanted. And None of I, us women did. We didn't. No. Yeah. That's but universal it's so important. Yeah. It's so yeah. important because if you don't ask. I know. You don't get it. Yeah, that's right. So I decided to go to my boss and just say, this is what's happened. Wasn't planned. I know it's not your plan, but I leave after a year and I won't leave if, if you don't want me to. And she said, you have my blessings. So I thought, God, this is great. So we finished that one year in Georgia and this dream job was in Doha through Lebanese owner company, school conglomerate. So we ended up actually having to spend a few months in Lebanon waiting for the paperwork. And it was kind of like, oh, something's off. <laughs> something's off. But, you oh. know, it's kind of Doha. Qatar was going to be, this is going to be it. Because, I mean, you can make good money there. It's like, okay, this is definitely, this is the one. This is going <laughs> to set us up for retirement. Things are going right. to be fine. Right. And it was the worst. <laughs> the absolute worst. But from all of the really negative experiences, I learned so much. Like I learned a lot about some people, but more so I learned a lot about myself and I learned an awful lot about the power of resilience. And so I'm grateful for those. I but think we always learn by no matter what we do, we're going to learn something. So and as long as you do learn, then it wasn't lost. Now, if exactly. you don't take any learning away from it, or you're bitter or angry, then that's not going to help you. Well, and then that no. same kind of a problem or challenge is going to keep presenting itself exactly. until you figure out how to make it work for you. Yes, exactly. So we left, we left Qatar and it was another one of those times that was like it was in June. I had had no notice. There were some real nasty things that happened. So mm. all of a sudden in June, first of all, like, take care of my four teachers and make sure that they get something for the following year because it's not hiring season. That's done and dusted. Right. So, And then after digging myself out of a pretty dark hole, 
I started to put some things out and ended up, went back to Canada for the summer, and there were two offers on the table. One was in Moscow, and one was in Tokyo. Wow. I I must say, I was awfully tempted for, I was awfully tempted, because, oh, I already know Japan, so let's, and it was really tempting to me. And I often go for readings, or I'll, I'll see some kind of a, a spiritualist or, or something. And, and my sister had just happened to have one scheduled for me when I came home that summer because I was really not in good shape after Doha. And I went in and for, not, I wasn't going to bring this up. And, and the gal said, you seem to be weighing something in your mind. And I said, well, yeah, I'm trying to decide between Moscow and Tokyo. And, and she stopped for a moment and she said, not Moscow. And it was that clear. And so I took that. Uh-huh. I mean, I didn't, I didn't act on just that. Like I, I followed up with interviews and, and contacting people who were there working in the system. Everything confirmed, but I dug a little bit deeper than perhaps if I hadn't had that heads up. Yes. Because, because we always say, Oh, if I only had have known, I wouldn't have done that. Right. And it was right. Kind of like this time, okay, now I know I need to find out before I walk into something that this same pattern that's been happening is going yep. to continue. Yep. Absolutely. So we took the job in Tokyo mm-hmm. and another interesting experience, but that was also for profit. And I we were there for three years and that was like, just can't do it. Like I, I also am very, when things cross my ethical compass, then it's like, now I don't care if it's good money. I don't care whatever. I, I don't need to settle this. So, but it was still like I was 63 and we still hadn't gotten our little nest egg ready. <laughs> At 63, I know. Been there, done that. Same shoes. Yep. Yep. So took another job, which again, just was really, it was cool the way things happened. My brother had been international teaching in Oman for 10 years, and he had just gotten a job in Hiroshima as the vice principal of middle and upper school. And all of a sudden, they were, they were looking for someone else. And so he asked me if he wanted me to, if I wanted him to put my name in. I said, oh, what the heck? And, and I interviewed for a coordinator's job. And within the time of two interviews, the early years elementary vice principal job opened, like just out of the blue. Wow. So I thought, and this is not for profit. Like it still had its its own challenges, but I was kind of returning to my roots. It was, it was almost exactly the same kind of culture as my first school in Japan. So it took that. And then within those years, mostly, well, even before Tokyo, for quite a few years, my husband and I talked about what are we going to do for retirement? And because I'm like, I'm okay with anything. Like it's kind of, it doesn't need to be here or here or here or here. Mm-hmm. So it kind of leaves a wide open palette there. And so I said after, and we looked at places in Canada, we looked at places in other countries that we lived and we explored a lot of different things. And then, and then I said, you know, he asked me, well, what do you need? And I said, okay, I need to be able to see the ocean. I knew that we would never be able to afford to be on the ocean. So I need Ugh. to be able to see it. I need to be as much 
in a natural environment as possible. I'm not a real, I don't like a lot of people around me. Mm-hmm. I love solitude. I love being in nature. But you're in Japan. It's crowded there. <laughs> okay. But, so, okay. So that, uh, those are my, that's what we have in our head. Well, that's my requirement <laughs> then. I need to see the water. I need it to be as far away from people as I can be in a natural environment. And we need to be able to pay cash for it because we had a slight, slight saving, slight from those admin jobs. And those are my three. And I don't care what country it's in. So I had it in my mind, okay, maybe we're going to go to a little island, you know, <laughs> you know, and live for a dollar a day until we roll out in a rowboat and that's the end of our time. Like, right. I, I was wide open. And then he found where we are now. And it's like, and when we saw it, it was, it had potential, but you really had to look for the potential mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was within our bracket and it was, so it wasn't terribly expensive. Mm. And, but for us, it was. So we got it when we were in Tokyo. We decided on it. And then my husband renovated everything inside wow. himself. And because of space, it's like a puzzle in here. So he yes. custom built. He, he's really good at making things. He custom built. Wow. Everything. So we live in, it's small. How many square feet would you say? I think it's 58. Like it's smaller than my kitchen, my, my sister's kitchen dining area. Oh, yeah, it, that's small. But in Japan, I would expect that. But yeah, that's small. I don't think I could do it. <laughs> well, in some environments, I couldn't. But our front, our whole front area is overlooking. One side is looking over the water right in front of us. Oh. And the other has part of the water and then into the mountains. Oh, there's that's trees wonderful. All around. It's like you need to send me some pictures. I'd love to see that. I will. I I'll will. be jealous. I'll be like, Oh, I love the ocean. Love, love, love the ocean. Yep. Well, so do I. And, and this place is mo- many of the people who live here. It's a community. So many of the people don't live here all year round. They come for the holidays. Oh. The numbers are lower. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, that is how that all happened. And then when we finally, at 65, I retired from Hiroshima. Mm -hmm. And so we're coming here and it's like, okay, now what? Yeah. How how long do we have before we need to panic? Right. But I must say I was burnt out from the 10 years. I was really burnt out. And I had started a book for my son about two years prior, probably from uh, Hiroshima, those two years. And I wanted the luxury of the first six months of my retirement to try to get back some of my own energy. And also the first thing on my list was this book for my son. It was really, really important to me. It's like one of those things you check off your list before you die, you know? He's an only child. That probably pulled back all your creativity that had been gone with the other jobs. You needed that back. Absolutely. So to be able to sit at my little desk and look out at the water and hear the birds and it's kind of, it just, it refreshed my soul. So I had those six months. I finished the book and I actually, I decided that that book is just for him. It's from my heart to his. So I had, I published it. I had two copies printed, one for him, one for me. And, 
And the whole thought behind it was that I don't want when I'm not here for him to be thinking, what would mom say? What would mom think? I want him to know. And so I wrote everything that I thought he would need to help when he's on his own. Amazing. We should all do that for our kids, but most of us just can't. We're too busy, but that's amazing. But but that's just it. Like, and it's because of like when both of my parents were finally gone, Mm -hmm. like I could still ask my sisters. Right. Right. And, and my brother. And, but even as time goes on, it's like I, I had a big question about my mom and, and it was like, no one, no one knew the answer. Yep. And it's like, well, that, that, I mean, it's just interesting. I really would like to know. Like yes. It would help Those me questions to know. always pop up after our parents die. Why didn't I ask them more about this? Or yes. Because I think what happens as you grow and mature, then you're thinking about your parents more and why did they do this and how did they get this done? You're not, when, when you're in those, like I had four children and very close together within five and a half years. So Ooh. I was busy, busy, busy with them and taking them to Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and dancing lessons. And then you're trying to work to earn enough money to send them to college. And it was just yeah. such a hectic pace. But then once all that was over, then you start to think, but by then my mother had already died. And then my father lived for a long time, but, you know, I, of course, there were questions that I thought of after he passed away. Of course. Yeah. So I think what motivated me the most, I wanted him to have the information. I wanted him to have comfort when, when I wasn't here. But right. it was because he's an only child. And that, that wasn't by it's choice. It's different when it's an only child. It really is. They have nobody. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's hard. Yeah, it is. And so I thought that's one thing that I can do. So those right. six months finished, Christmas finished, and, and then it's like, okay, now what? <laughs> well, that was just it. And it was kind of spent a little bit of time thinking, like, the first thing that will come to a foreigner's mind is, oh, well, maybe I can make a little bit of extra income teaching English. It's it's something that... Boring. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And there were a few other things, but that was kind of it. It's like you said, I'm 65. I have worked a whole lifetime for others. And I'm not willing to do anything that my whole heart and soul isn't into. I've been blessed in my career because I loved working with children, loved working with teachers, loved working with parents. So I was blessed with my career. But at this point... I just, I really want to do something that I can put my whole heart and soul into that I feel I am called to do and that I have something uh, important to share with parents, teachers, boys that is going to help them live a happier life. So it's my job to do it. So that started it. So for the next 18 months, I was kind of like a hamster on a wheel. And it was not difficult at all for me to create content for things. So my son helped. Like I, I created the website and then my son put it together the way it's supposed to be. Did the technical stuff. And then I created a couple of online courses. I was very lucky in February to be invited to be a co-author in a book from a group that works out of Holland. Mm -hmm. And 
that also is a writing coach and a business coach. So I learned a lot. And again, that happened totally by fate. Like that was just, a, that was be that another one of those things. It's the universe sending you what you need. Yes, it, was. it definitely was. Yep. So, but there, it's not been easy doing all the stuff that don't make my heart feel pitter patter. Like if I'm thinking about writing courses for parents or creating content, on social media to be able to spread my word easier. That's quite, I like it. It's not draining. But when I have to think about the marketing and do this launch and set up this challenge, it's like, holy smokes, a lot of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work. And understanding how to be able to use social media as marketing. When I had one Facebook account that I never use. It was only (laughs) to see other relatives when they posted pictures. So that whole social media world, the the whole technology behind everything, the learning that needed to happen with media and marketing and being an entrepreneur, that was like 70% of the energy take. Yes. And I'm just now at a point that I kind of, in this last month, it's kind of, okay, all my ducks are in a row. I just need people. Right. I just, I need to be able to, and then, but I have complete trust and faith. Like, I think, like when you talked about mindset. I think the difference, the difference of everything is if you look at things through a lens of abundance or scarcity. And I think there's no way with the way my life has turned out that it's just not going to continue. Like it will fall into place. It will happen. So I think the most, like, I know that this podcast, it's probably people my age and your age that are listening to it. And so really, we are the parents or grandparents of people who I'm trying to attract through my business. But the crunch of it all is, what I've learned through all of this is, you really have to trust your instincts. Like you really have to, and that you really have to reach out and learn more. Like you have to understand what's out there. And the more you educate yourself, the more aware you become listening to podcasts like this, reading blogs that are about aging well and the benefits of being in nature or anything that you can learn is just going to keep, like I wondered what was happening to my brain at one point because it was just so full. Like it was a, here's another thing, another thing, another thing. <laughs> but it, I think it was, it's really good because it keeps you sharp. It does. And it's, so if you can create that balance. So anyone who is just starting this period, it's kind of like, I really like the thought of this being our third act. Yes. And it's kind of like, it's a whole act. So it's not the, like I took that six months to recover from act two, but now this is a new act. And so what do I want it to look like? And there's no limits. There truly is no limits. And especially nowadays, if I, we didn't have this internet world, I couldn't help people in other time zones. I would be restricted to a very small foreign, because of my language, population in this community. Right. But we don't have those limits anymore. We don't. 
And it doesn't matter what you do. Like if whatever your passion is, if your passion is needlepoint, figure out how to spread that word. There's actually a woman that has a podcast about knitting and Mm -hmm. she does very well. She really does. So there's so many little niche podcast that you can do very specific to a small amount of people, but it can work for you and you can make money with those podcasts. So absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's about being on your path. Yes, I think so too. And then there's no stopping you. Yes. But someone explained to me, it's kind of like, it's like, like if it's a lighthouse. And so I have to keep getting my word out. I have to keep my post and, and keeping all that stuff. But the light is shining out here and it is going to fall on someone who really needs that light. Absolutely. So, But you are responsible yep. to keep putting that light out there. And I thought that was a beautiful way to think about it. It's so true. But this is just the beginning. This is just, just the beginning. Yeah, it is the beginning. And once you learn how to mark, and you don't have to be, excellent at it, but you learn enough about marketing that you get your name out there, you get your word out there. And being on podcasts is an excellent way to get your name out there. I learned from John Lee Dumas and that was his big thing. If you want to build your podcast, get on other people's podcasts. So that is the biggest way to build whatever, whether it's a book you wrote or, or your courses or another podcast, be on other people's podcasts because they have a huge audience. Some of them, if you get on the ones with the really big audiences, you're getting your name out there. And that is the best way to build. And I, when I first started this, I said that I could have never done this without the internet, but the internet came along at just the right time for us baby boomers. And now we can really do anything we want on the internet, anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And and the whole thing, like actually it can be detrimental sometimes because I don't think sometimes I think enough, but I have a question about anything, like something Mm -hmm. with technology or something. I just, Dr. Google. How do I do this? And and some explanation. And as long as I can take my time and, okay, step yep. one, two, three, four, I got it. Absolutely. So you don't have to rely on nope. so many others, but you have to really believe in yourself. You do. You have to have that positive mindset, believe in yourself. But if you pick something that's a passion for you, it is easier. So you don't want to just go, you don't want to say, oh, where can I make the most money or what can I do to make a, no, pick a passion that you have. Like, I love podcasting. That's why I picked this. You've got to pick something that you're passionate about and then you can do it and you'll never get depressed or like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to. You'll keep wanting to do it if it's your passion. Yeah, exactly. And it will be successful. Yep. Because it's, it's aligned. Like it's, you're doing it for the right reason. And we all have something to share with the world. All of us have, and we're unique. We're different. We all have something different. So you should never think, oh, there's so many other people doing the same thing. It doesn't matter. There's, I think like 2 million podcasts out there now. That didn't bother me. I'm like, so what? There's a lot of podcasts for baby boomers. I'm like, so what? Mine's different. And, and my personality is different. Yeah. So exactly. That's exactly right. 
So tell us a little bit about what your courses are about, because I know they're about boys and and helping boys grow up the right way. So give us an idea of what they are. So people are listening, because I mean, grandparents have influence on their grandsons as well. We might not have children we're trying to influence, but we certainly have grandchildren that we're trying to make a positive impact on. So this could even be something good for grandparents. I think, well, I do. I think at I think it's good for anybody because the male population is half of the population and things like, especially, especially communication and behavior and things like that. When we know better, we do better. And so that's kind of what my whole thing is. It's like I grew up in the sixties. So very much part of the women's live and, and all of our rights and free thinking and years and years reading self help books to, does it need to be a woman and all of this? And. As beautiful as all of that is, and with all of the progress that has been made, and there is still much room for more, yep. <laughs> I would say there has not been that kind of progress for males. Yeah. And having a male, it was like, you know, it was, start, it was being thrown in my face. It was like, well, like, like I, I, on my site, I do say the story behind how I got started and all of this. But we have such unconscious gender bias. We don't even know that right. that's impacting our parenting or right. how we're relating to the males in our world. Right. I thought everybody thought like me. So when I'm speaking to my husband and he is not responding the way I would expect another woman to respond, right. I'm pissed off. <laughs> so I read something recently and, and they compared it to like learning about men with communication, males in communication. Right. And someone had said, well, you know, what, what should I do that? And the response was, well, it's like going to another country. You want to learn how to say those important things like I'm lost or where's the bathroom. You want to have that much of the language to be able to communicate those important things. Well, if you think of male and females as the same way, we speak one language. We think in one way. It's not the same. And neither men, are, one men is- are from Mars. Women are from Venus. He started but- bringing that up, how different. And we, we don't know how to communicate the right way to each other. No. We just don't. I, I mean, I, I would, I'll be saying things to my husband and then all of a sudden I say, but we're saying the same thing. Can't you see though? And he's not saying that. We're just saying it in a different way. So he keeps saying no, no, no. And I'm going, but I'm saying the same thing. I'm just saying it. Di-. So we do communicate very differently. Very much. But the difference is, especially people our age, I think maybe it's everybody, all women. I don't know. I think the majority of us do think. They think the same way we do. So we have the same expectations. And with those expectations, we are setting up relationships for failure. Yeah. And the other thing is that um, there's something that they call the boy code, or there's a new one that's come out through Australia. I think that it's the man box. But the concept is the, the rules that society places on how a boy, a male, should feel and behave. And so you've got this little, little pure boy who is just absolutely perfect. But the more that, I mean, it can start at home. There's all kinds of studies on uh, things right from birth. Boys and girls are treated differently. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But then this little boy, he feels one way inside very naturally. But the more and more he gets into society, the expectations that are placed on him right, means that if he is going to stay in the tribe, he has to wear a mask. Right. And the more masks they need to wear, the more detached they become from their true selves. Right. And it's just not fair. No, it's really like, not. That's the bottom line. No. So I think there needs to be much more of a, a movement. It's starting. Like there's there are some that's things good. out there now, but it's not enough. No, I agree. I agree. So that's where my courses come. That's the the things I try to share. Just what are some of the the things that people can do to recognize the biases? What like I've got a few free things, which I can't understand why everyone doesn't take them and <laughs> and try them because once your eyes are open, you right. cannot not see. Yes, it's so true. Yep. So true. So that's that's kind of what my courses are all based on that. It's trying to open people's minds to the world of voice and the changes that can be made that is going to make not just a better world for them, but for all of us, because we have half a population that's male. And we have some serious problems with men right now. Yes. And not necessarily their fault, like you said, but... You know, they're having problems because of the way they're taught to be. Yeah. So you're right. There, there are some serious problems if they will admit it. And I don't think a lot of the men want to admit it, but yeah, they, they feel it. They know it's there, but I don't think they really want to admit it. Like women are very open about things that we think are wrong with society and how we're treated. And, but men don't, they don't go down that route most of the time. They don't think about it. They suppress it more, I think. That's where it is. Yes. They suppress it. It's suppressed. They don't feel they can show it. No. So no. our chance mm-hmm. is with the new kids coming in, the new children, the, the yes. new generation. So it's right. either going to be in the schools or in, right. in the homes. And nobody has more power than parents. Absolutely. Like, yeah. So the more people can understand and be aware, then they'll be able to make those changes that are just going to help boys. Oh, that's great. I like that. So tell my audience where they can find you. Give them your website and anything else that you think you want to share with them. That would be great. It's called Sunhood Coaching, sunhoodcoaching.com. Email would be at kathy at sunhoodcoaching.com. Almost everything you will be able to find from the website. I have a presence on almost all social media. My courses are listed on there. The free resources are listed on there. That's probably the, that's probably the best place to be able to connect to other places. So because I do think this is really important, I, I would really ask people who are listening, who do have children, who are bringing this next generation of boys, introduce them. Just like you can never force anybody because if it's the right time for them, it'll click. If it's not the right time, at least they'll tuck it away and they'll know, well, when I start having trouble with my boy, I know where to go. I would just be really grateful if people would would just share that there is something out there. There are things that we are missing about raising boys and they need us to do better. 
They do. So anyone out there who has grandsons, especially go yeah. to Kathy's website and get some of this information. And, and then if you think it's something that you can share with your, your daughter or your son that are raising these sons to help them, that would be really helpful. That's great. That would be well, great. Thank you so much, Kathy, for joining us today on Kick-Ass Boomers. You've had a lot of really good information. I love you sharing your story on how this all came about because we're all of us boomers are in the same boat. We have all these experiences, and now that we're older, we don't want to just sit on a chair. We want to share them and and have other people grow from them as well. So you've, you've really shared a lot of great information with us today. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me. It was nice to talk with you. You're welcome. It's been great. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.